Subscribers, new listeners, we are dealing with the second uh, in a series of lessons about Christians who are caught up in conspiracy theories and ways that we can help give calmness and confidence. This session number two is about the anxious, stirred up, confused, and frustrated Christian who needs patience and eternal perspective, trust, hope, confidence, and peace. Now, remember last time we talked about how those that are caught up in conspiracy theories, and really remember that there are true conspiracies, and we all know that, but I think right now is a time where you see them with such access to media that anyone can publish on, anyone can share on, or forward posts, that we see people that really don't have a good fund of information or may just be willing to forward something without knowledge or being able to handle the information correctly. Uh, And I see this in my medical and scientific practice and get arguments from people day by day about things that are easily proven and easily established. And uh, we have to handle those peacefully and diplomatically. Uh, And people have a right to their opinion and comment. But there are reasons why even Christians who are supposed to have a worldview and a foundation of security can fall in just like uh, people who don't have a hope for the future into conspiracy theories. Just like any other need or any other reason or motivation for behavior, people want satisfaction, comfort, stability, and to be valued. Every little child that you find, no one ever has to tell them to want things that make them comfortable, happy, uh, to fill their stomach, or to make them feel good. And we carry that through adulthood. There are three main needs that we all have that conspiracy theories or false information sometimes feed into. One is a need for comfort when we're anxious. Another is a need for validation, identity, and self-worth when we feel insecure or we feel like we're not being valued and we have a poor self-image. Another is we all need a sense of order and an explanation for those things that be when we feel like things are out of control. So a sense of comfort, a sense of order and control, and a sense of a healthy self-image. Now, as I stated before, gullibility is not a Christian virtue or a spiritual gift, and too many have been gullible in the recent crises, especially in the United States. Now, regardless of how much we passionately disagree with someone, if we forward or we post things or we share things, that slander someone or the truth or bear false witness against someone or the truth, when we post something that points to a conspiracy or spreading false news narratives, uh, we're to blame. I know that socialists and leftists are a huge problem, but they're not the problem. And we need to remember the Scripture says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, we don't have we I know that there are people who operate for the enemy, but I think so often they do that blindly, trying to do the best that they can, and we make them the enemy when we know that the prince of darkness, Satan is the the, the enemy. 
Scripture says also that we need to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is within you in meekness and fear. That's 1 Peter 3.15. And I have asked forgiveness of God and, and retracted things that I've said because I didn't say them in the right spirit or gave information because I didn't have enough information yet, and I'm trying to avoid that desperately. But but the hard thing so often is when we have the truth or what we think is the truth. Number one, not to confirm that it's the truth. But then when we have the truth, not to speak it in a sense of respect and meekness, trying to win people over, but rather trying to get revenge. How often, how often this week I've seen a post that come to me in emails is such and such slams AOC or Kelly McEnany destroys a reporter. I think we've gotten caught up in this culture of revenge because we feel like the American way of life is about to be lost, and we want revenge on our enemies. Well, first of all, we don't need to take revenge. God's the one who takes revenge. And number two, we need to remember that people aren't the enemy. The devil is. So consider that as we move forward. Also, remember about meekness. And again, guys, I have to eat this stuff before I share it with you. And if I come off in a way that's not meek or that's not loving, you are more than welcome to chastise me over it, and I'll apologize publicly. But listen to this verse that I've been reading and reading. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth— that's 2 Timothy 2.25. So often the people that we're upset at don't know that they're victims of themselves and a false worldview and of Satan themselves. So how do we treat them? We treat them with anger. How should we treat them? With love. Now, I'm going to stop and say something. I had a dear friend of mine and someone who I value as a brother and who I, I love to, to share time with who said this week, he said, hey, Doc, uh, would you mind reading some other version besides the King James? Listen, guys. There's a reason why Shakespeare is still the greatest writer in the English language. It's because he wrote with a lyricism and a music and a cadence that was memorable. He wrote at the very same time the King James Bible was translated. The King James Bible is the music of my heart for Scripture. I know that sometimes it's not as easy to understand uh, in simplicity as some of the modern versions. I love the MEV. I love the New King James. Uh, I don't read the others for reasons of translation. But let me just say, I use these verses because there's, they're memorable. They sing. I mean, how much better is it to say in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, instead of saying in humility, teaching those that are against themselves and don't know it? Oh, come on. Uh, that, that thing sings. I love it. So I'm going to stay with the King James. If you don't like it, tell me about it. And sometimes I may read the Amplified. I love the Amplified, too. But I just love the language, and it's what I've been reading since I was a three, four-year-old child, and I'm sticking to my story. Okay, so if you don't like the King James, just bear with me and be patient with me and show meekness toward me. <laughs> so I have a question. Is, does what we say or post or share or link to make people want to ask the reason of the hope that's in us? It's time for many of us to repent, and I certainly know that I have. I talked to, to for over an hour to a couple of brothers this week and just told them how sorry I was that I had been wrong early on in the, the some of the things that I said about Black Lives Matter uh, riots and things and, and some of the uh, activist issues that were going on because I, I just honestly didn't know what I was talking about. I don't know from firsthand experience. And I've learned a lot. And you're going to hear me interview a couple of guys that have just changed my life. But, but I know that I have repented of my attitude and some of my words, and I'm using this forum 
to hopefully reach out and learn to express myself for God's sake and for the blessing and service to others rather than just to get out some aggravation that I have or to vent. Now, as many as you know, I've had a tough time convincing some Christians of the facts, even of the truths of science in a field that I'm an expert in by license and by credentials. And with the very information that I use every day to treat those effectively who seek my help. So if I have trouble convincing people of the scientific method or of medical truth, just be patient with people when they don't listen, when you share something with them that may be true that you're not an expert in. Now, I've had to retract some of those premature statements early on in the COVID crisis and one or two statements about these protests turned into riots. So I think that one healthy thing as you look through your own and you search your own soul is maybe you need to do what I've done, and that's go online and say, guys, I said something earlier I'm ashamed of. I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm sorry. I'll try to do better. And I'll tell you what, that'll clean the slate and people will respect you for it. It's even risky sometimes to comment when you do know what you're talking about. I know I've been very upset about this absolute hatred of the president, but I'm asking myself, have I been more loving and less hateful toward liberals and socialists and race baiters and anarchists? Or am I being more loving and showing it to people who need help, who've basically opposed themselves and don't know it? Am I acting up tied up in knots as if I don't know the king of the universe that has everything under his control? And do I act as if I'm resting in his providence and protection? Do I exert a calm and a peaceful confidence that makes people say, you know what, I want some of that? Scripture says in Proverbs fourteen twenty six, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Do we act like we have a place of refuge in these problems on the news that really don't have anything to do with our day-to-day lives? Or do we act as if we are just spinning like a top because of something that was said on the news an hour ago that's going to change an hour from now? I find in my own life that, and this has been a growth process for me in my 50s, uh, that I find that the more I love and focus on eternity and the eternal destiny of others, the less that I worry about the news and the current events of the hour. Yes, we have a job as citizens, but you know, and I know that, you know, I noticed during 9-11 or during any other event that shook the country, like, you know, when Elvis died, uh, I'll never forget where I was when Elvis died. And some of you that are older than me will never forget exactly where you were, what you were eating when uh, JFK was shot. You know, I noticed that real news, real breaking news, I don't have to have the news on. Everything stops and everyone talks about it within five minutes. Real disasters and real events of our age are that way. So I think some of the time we just need to turn the news off and live our own lives and and serve the people that are right in front of us. Now, we're only going to win this war, and it's a spiritual war, by love and peace. James 1.20 says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You know, it's not going to come through being angry over political issues in a faraway place, but one person at a time right in front of us in love. That's how Jesus worked. And Jesus, despite the absolute documented political conspiracy against him, just like Paul later, never got up in arms or protested about the political injustices. These men went about their father's business with peace and purpose every day. John 8.32 says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Are you acting free? Are you acting peaceful? If you're looking for hope, affirmation, justification, confidence, or cooperation, you're not going to get it from the world, from the media, or from Washington. Yeah, the system's corrupt. 
yeah, the the root of money is the you know the root of all evils, the love of money, and we know that that money runs Washington and New York and Boston and a lot of these places. But you and I as Christians have the promises and providence of the God of the universe, and He will do what He says and what He's promised. The truth that we know is enough to engage people in meaningful discourse about the events of the day. We need to have answers for people that transcend these current crises and conflicts. We don't need to buy into every story that comes around the corner or be up on every breaking news story to do the will of God in our daily lives. And, you know, I, I sit back in awe. If I would just focus on the needs of my wife and my practice and my own body and those around me that I care about, I would have about 95% of my time taken up. And I find myself wasting time in front of a rectangular LED screen a lot of the time when I could have a more peaceful, productive, restful life and have more sleep at night and more time for the things that matter if I just turn those devices off. Okay, just a little break in the action in the midst of this important topic. I've been asked by several who are interested in donating to our 501c3 charity with 100% tax-deductible contributions regarding any campaigns that we might have going on right now. For this year, we're not having any missionary medical campaigns to the Third World Islands of the South Pacific as we normally do, but I am trying to author a charitable study to assess the antibody content of the population of north-central Arkansas in a rural area, specifically those in my practice, in the healthcare field, in the educational field, locally in our school system, as well as in my former practice, some of the patients that come from a distance, as well as those who have had symptoms of COVID before the outbreak or who are concerned that they've had this and not been tested. So we have a study that has four arms. It's scientifically and statistically significant with the number 100 patients. It will be randomized, placebo-controlled, double-blinded in every way possible that you can have with an antibody study. Uh, The tests have been offered to me at a discount by our local health system, and I'm trying to raise $5,000 over the next one month to have this done. Any donor for this project who is interested would, of course, be included uh, if they donate more than $50 as a a participant in a study subject. So that would be one advantage of donating, as well as helping the true science of this in our community, because there aren't any studies being authored that I know of in the rural community. We have established a PayPal account. And if you will look in the podcast notes or item notes or the description just under... Uh, for example, on Spotify or Apple Podcast or on our website, you will see a support the program icon or a list item or link. And then also on the website at buzzsprout.com, that's E-S-P-A-N-N dot buzzsprout, B-U-Z-Z-S-P-R-O-U-T dot com, you'll find a heart button near the Twitter Facebook, uh, LinkedIn uh, icons that you can click, and they'll both take you to the King's Foundation Incorporated. Uh, We have listed before in our history and explanation uh, of our organization uh, all of the licensures, all of the state licenses, the IRS certifications that we have. So with that uh, break in the program, we're going to return to our uh, podcast about uh, Suspicious Minds Part 2. We also owe it to our fellow citizens to know 
about these things that we're sharing, as I've said before, if they're true. So we should spend probably a lot more time researching the truth and the important matters of our day if we're going to share things than we quickly forward them. And we've got a lot of truth to share beyond the events of our day. Things that are going to be way more important than the COVID crisis are riots to make people want to ask a reason of the hope that's in us during these very times. And, you know, God is sovereign, so he allows these things. He's not the author of sin, but God's all-powerful. So if it happens, he has to allow it. And that means that we've got some answers to learn and to give. What do you think would make a people ask a reason of the hope that's in us? Well, hope for one. And what does hope produce? Joy. Can people see the joy and hope that's in us so that they want the same thing in their lives? I've got a tough question that came to my mind today. Do you want people to experience the life of peace, hope, joy, relaxation, fulfillment, and lack of frustration and anxiety that that you feel and show every day? Do you want people to enjoy the thoughts and feelings that you're enjoying right now? Why do we want to share our thoughts and feelings with others if our thoughts and feelings are making us miserable and frustrated? Last time I discussed the envying and strife that's discussed in James and Psalms and in other books in the New Testament like Corinthians, and how these are so closely tied up with the desire for political power and the idea of electioneering and getting our way in the power structure and governmental policies of our day. And look, I'm I'm fearful about the American way of life as we know it ending too, but I'm afraid we've turned that into an idol. The New Testament Christians knew nothing of the peace and freedom that we would have if Black Lives Matter and if socialists got everything they wanted this year in our country. I know that's an extreme statement, but even if they got everything they wanted, we would still be better off than Christians were under Nero or Paul in prison. So, yeah, I'm fearful about losing our way of life and what my grandchildren's lives are going to be like. And we know that there are some changes coming. But what's my priority, I ask myself? Is my priority these things, the American way of life, the traditions that we've known, the blessings that we've had, or the infinitely more valuable and weighty eternity of those for whom God let me be born in this time and place for such a time as this? We're all upset that justice doesn't occur. But do you think that's new? Listen to David in Psalm 37, and he was king, by the way, when he wrote this. He says, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now we need to remember that, that most of the books written by Paul, I mean, David wrote in times of crisis when he was hated without a cause by his enemies. But let's just think about most of the books written by Paul. And especially on those books that we rely upon for peace and hope, these were written from a prison cell in a dungeon while he was being held unjustly by a conspiratorial religious force in alliance with a wicked godless government. And he never once railed about the injustice politically or how wrong the policies were or how the media of that day had it all wrong, did he? 
Just like Jesus, he focused on what he could do in his sphere of influence, one person at a time, one day at a time. And all that he did was see the conversion of many of the leaders in the government of Rome and the conversion of a lot of those in the household of Caesar and saw the world being turned upside down from an unjust government toward the kingdom of Christ. He never got angry or defensive, and he didn't waste one minute on what the news said, except as it gave him opportunities to testify for his king. Now, that's a reputation that we can follow. What about frustration and envy? We talked about envy and strife before. A lot of the time, I'm afraid that the reason we get so upset is we're comparing ourselves to others or we're living in fear about what might be instead of being thankful and rejoicing. And we talked about that last time. But listen to these few verses about frustration and envy. Proverbs 3.31, Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. Oh my, how I have chosen the ways of those who are enemies of the king and envied their maybe their wealth or their prominence or that they were being listened to or getting their way. We need not to envy the oppressors, and we certainly don't need to choose their ways. If they're out on Twitter, that just means we don't need to be. Proverbs 23.17, Let not thine heart envy sinners. But be thou in the fear of the Lord all day long. See, we don't need to fear what's going on on the news. We need to be respecting the Lord and letting him take care of what he'll take care of. As I've quoted to you before, the verse that's on my desk, Wisdom is before him that hath understanding, but the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. Proverbs seventeen twenty four. How many of us need to come back from what's three states or three countries or a world away? or what we can't have any influence over and come back toward hearth and home. Second Timothy 1.7, and many of you know this verse, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. What about hope and peace? And we talk about we should be the peaceful, confident people that others look at and go, Hey, tell me about a reason of your hope. Listen to Psalm 91, verses 5 to 7. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. See, we get all worried about COVID or diseases. Well, you know what? We're all condemned to die already. We're all going to die. The chance is still one out of one. It's coming. I tell people sometimes in medicine, hey, guys, we can't save lives. We may be able to help them. We may be able to prolong them. But the only one in the business of saving lives is Jesus Christ. The only one that can save you and make your now and eternity both better is God on the throne. And he has made promises that if it is his will that we live through anything, a thousand people may die all around us, but it will not come nigh us. And that is what gave the Christians confidence in the black plague and every plague in history when they were the ones running into the fight instead of running away from it. Now, we don't need to be foolish. We ought not tempt the Lord. But my goodness, what a difference in ages past. No wonder we don't have any effect on people anymore. We're afraid of our own shadow. We have a hope that goes beyond this life, but we also have hope in this life, just as those verses that David said in Psalm 91. Luke twelve seven says, But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of much more value than many sparrows. If God knows how many hairs are on our head, do you think he's going to let something happen to you if you're following his will and trying to serve others during the life and the time he gave you where he planted you with things right in front of you? I think not. Do you know that God even counts sneezes? He cares that much. 
Remember the little boy that Elisha resuscitated in the, the widow woman's house? Do you remember that God mentioned that when he resuscitated him that he, he sneezed seven times when he revived? If God cares that much and has made promises to us, why do we fear and worry and get frustrated with the events of our day or the risks around us? We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. We ought to have a hope that makes people that are lost come running to us saying, tell me how to get this confidence and hope and peace. And we are all to be about our Father's business day by day, where He's planted us. The, that proverb that I read earlier. Listen to this quote. I, this is a beloved quote from C.S. Lewis. This was made to a seminary class during the Cold War and the daily fear in Britain of nuclear devastation. He said this, How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, Well, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at night, or indeed as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty. This is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends, or playing a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. Even a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. This was stated in 1948, actually, on Living in an Atomic Age, a speech that he gave in an essay in Present Concerns and Journalistic Essays. What gave C.S. Lewis that hope? For that matter, what gave Peter, Paul, Daniel, Joseph, and all the other greats in history whose faith we revere the courage and hope that they had? They knew they were bulletproof until God called them home, and they acted like it. And we need to act like it, too. And we need to remember that if God has our best at heart, and we know he does, and he made us for purposes, and he planted us here and now for a reason, just like Esther, for such a time as this, then why in the world are we afraid? Why in the world do we worry? Why do we run from risks rather than carefully assessing God's will and then going toward risks sometimes for the sake of others? This is a time for Christian people to show peace and courage, and let others see what gives us hope. So for those of you that are listening that may not know Jesus as your personal Savior or have that eternal hope, face the fact that death's still a 100% chance. Zig Ziglar said a long time ago, you're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive, so let's make sure we got that straight. Let's gain some perspective, those of us who know the King. Eternity is the issue for all of us. Infinity divided by 100 years is still infinity. So that is infinitely more important than this short life. And I love this little short life. I want to get all of it I can. I want to see my great-great-grandchildren if possible. But that doesn't mean we need to sacrifice the vigor and the hope and the purpose 
that God put us for here right now because we're afraid to die. Does anybody marvel at your faith? I love the story about Jesus marveling at the man's faith. Does anybody look at us and say, how do you have this faith? Has anyone asked you lately a reason of your hope? Folks, I hope that gives you much to think on and even more to hope in. So until next time, I'm glad to have been here with you. And remember that we do this to bless and to serve you. And I hope that's what this has done for you today. So I'll be back with session three by next weekend. Thank you again.